little verse, and then we're going to go to John 17. In John 20, in verse 30 and 31, it says, In many other signs, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, you know what that means? That means you don't have to worry about any other thing. Anytime somebody pops up with something new that Jesus did or something new that he wrote or something that miraculous happened, forget it. It's not written in the book because the next verse tells you, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So what we did for the last few weeks, we decided to find out the things that John wrote for our benefit, the things that might give us life through his name. And we started at chapter 1, but today we find ourselves in chapter 17. So turn over to 17th chapter of John. And this is as rich a chapter in God's Word as there is. Now, the 17th chapter of John, I'm going to give you a little history on it, isn't found anywhere else, the contents I mean, because John's the only one recorded it. And it happens to be the Lord's Prayer. Now you see, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's the disciples' prayer. That's when he taught the disciples how to pray. This is the Lord's Prayer for his people. He's taking the place right here, right now, as our mediator the God-man mediator for sinners, okay? So let's read, oh, at least the first 15 verses in here, and then we'll go back and talk just a little bit about these verses because they are wonderful. And these are things that John wrote for our benefit that we might have eternal life. And always that life is through the Lord Jesus Christ. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to his many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. 
Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name, and those that thou gavest me I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now, I, and now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. That's as much as we'll read today. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee for this portion of thy word. It's not unusual. It's not different, and it's always there. And it's delighted our hearts for years just to read in this portion. Lord Jesus, open our understandings to understand salvation, to understand thy great love for those that the Father gave to you. Now it's very important that each individual to have eternal life has to be one of those that God the Father gave to thee. Open these truths to our hearts and see that all of God's people Every one that the Lord Jesus Christ died for will come to him. We ask thee to continue to bless us on the highways. Watch over our people and our guests every day, every hour. Bring meditations to their hearts about the scriptures. And lift up the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts and minds. For we pray in his name. Amen. How anxious to get to this portion of John. Now John has some wonderful, wonderful chapters in it. Chapter 1 is so super. You know, we were just delighted to be there. Spoke about him as the eternal word. And then as the creator... And then there's the one that came unto his own, and they received him not. And that's where it said, and the word became flesh. We have the eternal God becoming a human being like you and I. And then John 3, you know how great John 3 was. You must be born again, speaking to Nicodemus. And that's the chapter that said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. 
And immediately after that is said, for anybody that doesn't believe on him is condemned already. That's great stuff. We just finished chapter 16 last week. Well, we don't want to pass chapter 10 either, the sheep chapter. That was a great chapter. Chapter 10, the sheep chapter. And then last week we had the work of the Holy Spirit in John 16. Just as clear cut as can be. How God reproves sinners of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It always takes place. There is no other way for anybody to be saved apart from God the Holy Spirit reproving them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He teaches you about yourself and about Christ. And then we land on the Lord's Prayer in John 17. And what a blessing this is. Verse 1, these words spake Jesus, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, You see, our Lord, our God, prayed. He was a man of prayer. He said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. You see, he couldn't pray as God. He had to pray as a person God doesn't need anything you can't glorify God any more than he is glorified and yet we find the God man asking the father to glorify the son that the son may also glorify thee now he was about to bear in his own person our condemnation and put away sin forever out of God's sight on behalf of all who ever did who, or who will put their trust in him by the substituted sacrifice of himself. And to be enabled to effect this was in his loving estimation to be glorified. If he can bring his people to him and him be their perfect sacrifice, that would be glorifying God. Now look at the fifth verse. He says the same thing over there. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. A lot of people, you know, don't believe in the Trinity. Uh-uh. They don't believe that. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ was with the Father before the world was ever created. And so was the Holy Spirit. There's three persons in the Trinity. They're one essence, one God. I don't tell me to try to explain it to you. I can't. The words are there. There are three persons in the triune God and they're of the one essence. They're one God. That's as far as I can explain it to you. But do I ever believe it? Because I know that God is the one who has been sinned against. He's the one made the rules. I know the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, came and took flesh and became the substitute for sinners. That's history. Celebrate that time of the year around December. Whether it's the right time or not, it makes no difference. It's a celebration of the Son of God being born. And I 
know about the Holy Spirit by him convicting my heart and showing me what a sinner I am. That part I know personally. And so I know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why doubt it? People do. Well, in the fifth verse, it's repeated. He asked his Father to take the Son of Man into the position that he, as the Son of God, occupied before he was born here on earth, his incarnation. That there, as a representative of his people and as the head of his church and the head over all of all things to his church, he might rule everything in heaven and earth and hell for their benefit. He had the glory. He voluntarily gave it up, took on human flesh, kept the law perfectly, earned eternal life as a human. And now he's asking the Father to glorify that person, the God-man, with the same glory that he had before, what? Before the world was. Now, how can our God, who is the fullness of glory, receive any more glory? The glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, and the glory of the Holy Ghost are mutually secured and displayed in the salvation of those who come with their cares, their needs, their sorrows, their sins. They come to him for life, pardon, salvation, And who do they come to? They come to the Lord Jesus Christ. That gives God glory. Christ accepted for us is the pledge of our glory. Christ dwelling in us the hope of our glory. Christ walking with us the light of our glory. Christ on us the garments of glory. And Christ's fullness the measure of our glory. And Christ himself the crown of our glory. Christ crucified and raised from the dead for us is Christ glorified. And Christ glorified is God the Father glorified, the Holy Spirit glorified, and the believer glorified. All things in Christ, they abound to us through him. So he says, Father, glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. What a great start, huh? Now verse 2, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Power over all flesh. You see, as God, the creator, everything that's made is his. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is the creator. We read that in John. We read that in Colossians. We can read it in Hebrews. And he says, he has power over all flesh, good and bad. We see for those that he saves, he has the power to give them a new body, just like his. Now, that's going to be Philippians 3.21. Take a look at Philippians 3.21. It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians 3.21. 
It says, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Now there, if he has power over all flesh, he has the power to take our vile flesh and make it like unto his glorious flesh, the flesh of his resurrected body. It's a little bit different. Yep, it appears to be just like ours, but it has no blood in it. And it's an eternal body. It can't decay, it can't get hurt, it can't be disposed of. Don't ask me to explain that either, I can't. It's going to be made like unto his glorious body. Now, he also has power to execute judgment on the flesh of all the rest. He has power over all flesh. Look at John 5, 27. John 5, 27. This is what the Father has done for the Son. He hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. His power over all flesh also gives him not just the liberty, but the power to execute judgment. And what that means, that means at the great white throne judgment, judgment day, he has the power to cast into hell. Okay? He has the power to change our vile bodies like unto his. As for believers and unbelievers, he is their executing judge. As the Son of God, he always had the power. But now as the Son of Man, the God-Man, the eternal power of God was in the hands of a human being. That never had happened before. Look at Colossians 1.19. Colossians 1.19 Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Short little letters of Paul, but so rich, so good. Colossians 1.19 For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. What's that mean? All the fullness of the Godhead and that bodily. And this power, just think of it, if you had power. What could you do? Well, he don't use it as a tyrant. But it's to give eternal life. All the power of God given to the Lord Jesus Christ is to give, look at our verse, chapter 2, to give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And believe me, that takes eternal divine power to give eternal life. Look at John 10, 28, where it distinctly says, 
And he says himself that I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, and neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Who is he talking about? He's talking about sheep. John 10 is the sheep chapter. He's talking about his sheep. He gives them eternal life. Do you understand that the greatest necessity in your life right now, while you have breath, is to secure eternal life. And you can only secure eternal life by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, the only giver of eternal life. Now, he can give eternal life because he earned it. I'm not talking about the eternal life of God from back in eternity, no. God gave man some rules and said, if you can keep them, you earn eternal life. The Lord Jesus Christ kept God's laws perfectly. He earned eternal life. And being not just man, but the God-man, the eternal life that he earned, he earned it for those that God gave him. See that part of our verse? Verse 2 of John 17. That he should give eternal life to who? To as many as thou hast given him. How about one extra person? No. There are no additions. There are no deletions and there's no additions to those whom the Father gave to the Lord Jesus Christ to die for. And people hate that doctrine. They don't like the fact that God knows who Christ died for. They don't like the idea that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't die for those he knew. He didn't die for strangers. He died for his sheep. The whole 10th chapter of John. He knows his sheep and calls them by name. Not once they're born here. Not once they... The Lord delivers them, speaks to their soul and mercy. No, he knows the sheep from eternity. A lost doctrine today. Strange, huh? As many as thou hast given him. Those are the ones. When did he give them to them? Well, he gave them to them back before there was a world. Now turn to 2 Timothy 1.9. 2 Timothy 1.9 is going to give you very simple, clear sixth-grade words to tell you when all this took place. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, and all of God's people get a holy calling. It's when God quickens you, awakens you, makes you conscious that you need a Savior. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus when? Come on, now read it. Before the world began. And people will read that over and over and over and say, no, that's not when grace was given to his people. Well, it was. Our God is a God of knowledge. 
He not only knows who Christ died for, he knows every hair on your head. He knows every sparrow that falls to the ground. He even knows the number of the stars and calls them all by name. All those things our God does. So what's so strange about him knowing who he was going to do the greatest thing ever die for? You see, those whom the Father hath given him. Now let's look at verse 3. Verse 3 gets interesting. And this is eternal life. You want to know what eternal life is? Well, here it is. That they might know thee the only true God. Wait a minute, that's kind of tough right there. How do you get over that step? How do you get to know the true God? When you have offended him, when you have broken his laws, when you have rebelled against him all of your life, when you have used his name to curse him, when you have ignored his word, how do you get to know him? How can you even approach him? It says the heavens aren't even clear in his sight. How much more a sinner? Well, there's some good news, though that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ as a love gift to those whom he gave to Christ before the foundation of the world. That's hard to figure out, but it's according to God's own purpose and grace. It's not anything that we can come up with. Man, I didn't invent this thing about God loving people before the world. It's in the Bible. But now, to come to know the only true God, how do you do that? We'll look at John 14, 6. John 14, 6. Here's your clear instruction. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Anybody ask any questions about that? Anybody doubting that? Anybody say, well, I'm not sure if that's true? No, this is the most dogmatic statement in the whole Bible. Now, to get to the Father, you have to come through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's a way. It's a narrow way. He's the truth. God's word is truth. He's called the word. And he is eternal life. Without him is no life at all. He says, I give unto my sheep. I give unto them eternal life. So everything is tied up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't get to the Father, but by him. So what does that do to all the other religions in the world? What about all the Muslims, all the Mohammedans, all the Buddhists who outnumber Christianity probably ten times? Does numbers make people right? No. I'll tell you what makes things right is this book right here. God has given us a book with what he wants us to know about eternal life and about getting saved. Now, portions of this book 
are 3,500 years old. You haven't got another book that old in your house. You haven't got another book that old in the library. Moses wrote thousands of years ago, and God has seen fit to preserve it. That's the miraculous part of it. It's preserved. It's kept for us. It's been tried to be destroyed time and time again. It's here. We got it. It tells you how God saves a sinner. It tells you the remedy of how you get to know the only true God. is through Christ. And you say, well, how do you get to know Christ? Well, you learn about him in the Word. Where else are you going to learn about him? Where else can you find out any information about the Son of God but in God's Word? Is it any wonder they ban it in the schools? Can you go to Nichols and take a class in uh, salvation? Are you kidding? They don't want the Bible on the campus. And in the public schools, forget it. I've had to sneak the Bible into the high school. That's the only way you get it in. Kept it in my office. People come in would see it, but that was it. You get to the Father through Christ. How do you get to Christ? You learn about him. You find that he is the perfect substitute sacrifice that God demanded for your sin. See, you run across a lot of things in the Bible. You, you run across sin. People don't like that, so forget about that. They run across sacrifices. Oh, that's not nice. Don't like killing animals. They run across repentance. No, I'm, I'm not to blame. I didn't do nothing. And really, they're atheistic in their heart. They don't. They claim to know a God and the architect of the universe. You know, I've had this with science teachers at the school. I say, our God is the creator. Things didn't evolute. Oh, no, yes, they did. We got this and that. Oh, I believe in the architect of the universe. I believe in the, the great overall God, but things evoluted. I said, oh, my goodness gracious, no faith. You know, I used to be tough on them people, but no more. Hebrews 11.3 tells me it's by faith that we believe that the worlds were created out of nothing. And if he didn't give these people faith, who am I to complain about them? He gave it to me. I believe it. Want to read it? Hebrews 11.3. Hebrews 11.3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Isn't that simple? Are they going to accept that? No, because they haven't got any faith. So that things which are seen were not made with things which do appear. Our God created them. Same way he creates a soul every time a baby is born. The soul part is created by God, and then it becomes an eternal thing. Now, souls aren't eternal, but they're everlasting because they didn't start in eternity. They start when the baby is born. Okay. Now let's see where we are. 
We are in John 14, 6, and we found that Christ was the, the way, the truth, and the life, and it's the only way to get to God the Father. So you learn about Christ, you learn about yourself, you learn about sin, and what's the conclusion you can come to? There's only one conclusion. You, as a lost sinner, have got to come to the Lord Jesus Christ asking for mercy and forgiveness. Now, if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. It just isn't showered upon you for you hoping that maybe you are an elect soul. Nobody gets saved apart from them coming to the Lord Jesus Christ as a ruined, lost, hell-deserving sinner crying for mercy, and that's the kind he saves. How do you know he saves? Because he'll tell you. He'll speak to your heart through the word that he died for you. It's personal. It's one-on-one. -on -one. This stuff of you accepting Jesus and joining the church and getting... I want to tell you, it's a one-on-one -on -one and you don't even have to come to church. God saves people everywhere. In automobiles, in bedrooms, in bathrooms, at work, in trucks. Don't make any difference. When you cry and the Lord answers your heart and speaks to your heart, that's deliverance, that's salvation. Now remember that, it's one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. It is not a denomination or a church that has power with God. He has power with the individual, those whom thou hast given him. That's how you get to God, the Father. Let's look at verse 4. I've glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. How, what's he talking about? He finished it. He hadn't even died yet. Well, do you understand that the dying was the easy part? The dying for Christ was the easy part. The keeping the law for 33 years was hard. I won't say it was hard for Christ, but when I look at it through my sinful eyes, having my sinful heart, knowing my lustful, sinful appetite, 33 years of never sinning, that's the hard part, okay? That's very hard. But he said he had finished it. All that was left to do was for Christ to die. You see, the keeping the law perfectly earned our eternal life. The dying was necessary to pay for our sins that we've committed. See, every sin has to be paid for. There's no such thing as just plain forgiveness of sins. That's why no priest can forgive anybody's sins. Every sin has to be paid for, and what's the price of that? Sinless, pure, spotless blood is the only price that can be paid for sin. Why? Because God made the rules. To make any difference how man wants to change them, how he likes to make his religion, the rules of the game is sin is paid for by spotless, pure, sinless blood, and it was only obtainable in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he's the only way, the only substitute redeemer. How foolish for people to ignore their souls and eternal life and not come to him. 
little break in the pride, a few little things you negate in life, can't take them with you anyhow. Come to Christ, get to know him. He gives you eternal life. Okay, he said, I have glorified thee on the earth. He certainly did. He kept the law perfectly. He glorified God's justice. He glorified God's laws. Then he said, I finished the work which thou gavest me to do. That's a marvelous statement. What did he say on the cross? The only thing he could say, it's finished. It is finished. Then the death and the keeping of the law was finished. But the work part was keeping the law. Verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. We already talked about that. He had all of the glory that could, God could have because he is God. But he did not have it in flesh and blood. Now he comes as a human being, earns eternal life, and because he earned eternal life, he has the privilege to ask the Father to give him that glory that he had with him before the world was. See, this is going way, way, way over our heads. Our human minds can't comprehend an eternal God. That's not all I can't comprehend. If I had to reason this out, I would be in poor shape. Thank the Lord he's given me faith to believe. I live by the faith of the Son of God who died for me. I don't live by my reason. I can't reason anything. I can't even follow instructions to put a simple little box together. I've got four little boxes from a lady up in the country, and they mail order things, you know, and they come with all the folds and the bends and the cuts. I'd gone crazy. I had to give them to my daughter and her husband, and they finally put the little boxes together. I can't figure anything out. But by faith, I believe what God has said about salvation. And now, since the Lord has delivered me, I find him to be the most precious thing in my life. I just love to talk about him. I love to say and have that hope that I'm going to have a new body that won't sin. Right now, I'm a pretty dismal failure in having anything to do with Christ because I am still such a sinner, totally polluted in mind, polluted in heart, still have a heart that's deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, and what I desperately need is my new body that won't sin. Can you imagine yourself not sinning? Can you? in word, thought, or deed. And then to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and see his glory. Just to look at him will thrill your mind for probably a million years. And we'll have access to him all the time. Our God-man redeemer, the most powerful person in the universe who has a everlasting love for those he died for. And to know that you have an interest in him, all you've got to do is come to him and ask for mercy. Because he's a God of mercy. He's not a God of education. He's not a God of power. He's a God of mercy who delights to save sinners. 
See, we don't know who, who God died for. We don't know who the elect are, so forget that part of it. How about that wonderful part that says, whosoever will may come, so come on, anybody. Everybody that hears the gospel preached, come on to him. Put every other thought aside. Come as a lost sinner, asking for mercy. Come one on one, and you will receive eternal life. Not only that, you'll be adopted into God's family because the rest of the world is going to probably kick you out anyhow. They don't want anything to do with fanatical people that believe the Lord Jesus Christ gives new life to people. Well, he does. He does. Well, our time is...